This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti. I'm Mary Mammoliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm going to step outside our normal format and share an episode that is near and dear to my heart. It's a topic that you've probably hashtagged, retweeted, and maybe even shared your own personal struggles and triumphs. This episode is all about mental health. Many of you may already know, but if you're new around here, welcome. And I want to give you a little brief, short and sweet version of my journey. And we're going to talk about my journey with mental health. When my eyes had deteriorated, feeling like life had just kicked me right in the gut. Fear began to consume my every single thought. Every positive thought was replaced with, you know, the worst case scenario. Honestly, my middle name should have been catastrophe because catastrophizing became a daily occurrence until I stumbled across a daytime talk show sharing information about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, And this is when my journey to self-love, acceptance, and what I like to call Mary 2.0 began. Let me introduce you to some of the incredibly kind, thoughtful, easygoing, and knowledgeable folks over at the Shift Collab. Jalen, Melissa, and Vivian. I am a social worker and a therapist, and I work at a wonderful place uh, called the Shift Collab. What I'm really passionate about in terms of um, therapy is you know, really being able to work alongside clients and helping them on their path to well-being. My specialties include um, eating disorders and body image issues, um, people with food and weight preoccupation, as well as addictions and um, anxiety and depression. I work particularly around depression and anxiety, uh, mostly focusing on things like perfectionism, productivity. And I also work with individuals when it comes to what we might call life transitions. Life transitions can cause all kinds of stress and anxiety. And as we navigate them, there are lots of subconscious little habits we build up that can negatively affect our outlook on life. A lot of times what we forget to do is when we're feeling anxious, our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors are kind of like interlinked into each other right? They're connected in a a way. So when we kind of think about in that catastrophizing moment, it's going to go into what we might call survival mode, right? I call this my dumb, dumb caveman. It's my dumb, dumb caveman brain because it's like, must hunt, look for stuff, don't do. And I'm like, what? Where did it come from? Like, why are you here? Because there's a part of our brain that developed through evolution. And it's like, I need to understand, I need to know what to do. So we go into that mode, right? Especially when we catastrophize, we're going to hit our survival link. Now we're not actually fighting against the saber tooth tiger. We're fighting against social pressure, the pressure to produce, the pressure to perform, the pressure Mm. to look good. Like a lot of people, fear of judgment is a huge thing. So it's very ingrained in us to want to stick to groups. So judgment is a very scary thing. I think all of us in different ways fall into different cognitive distortions or thinking traps, right? And so thinking traps are essentially things like catastrophizing. So making it into a big deal when it isn't. It can also be um, future, like fortune telling. So I'm predicting that I'm going to get fired or I'm predicting that my partner is going to break up with me. Um, 
It can be things like mind reading. So I'm at a party and I'm mind reading that everybody thinks I'm an idiot or everyone thinks that uh, my outfit's ugly. Um, so it's all these different things that our brains do all the time to try and make sense of our situations. But unfortunately, whenever we're feeling anxious or we're feeling depressed, it really kind of skews our perspective on things. So all of a sudden we feel that we're actually in a lot more danger or feel like we're in a lot more negative situation than we are. There is so much stigma, even today, which surprises me. But normalizing therapy, including it in our healthcare checklist, is important for everyone. The best place to start is educating people about what therapy is. Yeah, and so there's lots of types of therapy. There's um, cognitive behavior therapy is one of the like biggest leading evidence-based types of therapy. Um, it's particularly helpful whenever people are struggling with maladaptive thoughts. And so essentially just when we're thinking in a particular way that's actually causing us distress. Other ones though that are really common nowadays are mindfulness-based therapy. And that's essentially being present focused and being aware of what's happening in the moment. There's narrative therapy, there's emotion-focused therapy. What I find works best for the vast majority of people though is an integrative approach. So finding a therapist who's well-versed in different forms of therapy and they're able to actually integrate different approaches and different modalities based on what you're presenting with or what you're working on each and every session. So in individual therapy and in couples therapy or even in group therapy, ideally um, what can work really well is when the therapist is skilled to know at that moment it makes sense for us to explore more of a narrative lens or at that moment it makes sense for us to bring in some motivational interviewing. So there's these different types of therapy. If you're new to therapy, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to necessarily know ahead of time what um, what approach you need. But ideally, what you can do is find a therapist who can understand you and, and really recognize where you're at and then bring in the right types of therapeutic modalities to suit your needs. Well, for someone who's listening right now that is deciding or on the fence and not sure if they should go ahead, um, can we explain what the role of a therapist is and when they should come into the picture? Mm-hmm. So I think different people have different approaches. Um, I understandably, one of the reasons why I was drawn to therapy is just my own love for it, my own appreciation and how previous therapists have helped me in my life. So I, I'm a big fan of it. And I think one of the things that works well for a lot of people is to have a therapist that they feel they have a good solid connection with. If things are going relatively well in your life and you're just wanting to kind of be a bit healthier, to practice mental wellness, you don't necessarily need to go every week. It doesn't need to be a large part of your life. But if you have a good relationship with a therapist in the same way as you know you have a dentist who you know or you have a physiotherapist you can go to, when you need them, then you're able to come back and see them, right? Um, so therapists can basically provide you with a space to reflect on your life. It allows you to talk to somebody who's confidential and who's not involved in the situation. So I often hear from my clients who benefit from talking to me because, you know, whether it's a family conflict or stress at work or an issue in their relationships or friendships, um, I'm not 
biased. I'm not skewed to, you know, have a specific opinion about their cousin or somebody at their work. Um, and that allows them to talk much more openly uh, than if they were talking to somebody else who was involved in all the situation. And, and by doing that, they tend to come to more realizations than they would if they were talking to other people in their lives. The other thing is that a good therapist can ask the right questions to help the person reflect and realize things that they may not have otherwise realized. And then the other thing that therapists can do is in, introduce new tools or new strategies to cope with many of the stressors, um, when many of the mental health concerns that people are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And so if you have an actual mental health concern, by learning more about it, understanding why it's happening, what can I do about it, it can make a big improvement in the person's life. There's people who come for therapy because they're in the midst of a crisis. There's people who come to therapy after years of struggling and finally, you know, they feel ready for it. And then there's some people who just honestly come to it because they heard good things and they're just kind of being proactive. Um, but in any case, there's a lot of opportunity for benefit. All of that to say that it's not the only way that people get better. I think that it can be wonderful for a lot of people, but there's some people where they have other ways of being mentally well, whether it's something of being really physically active, having a strong social support group, so just your friends and, and your family or your loved ones. Um, some people have pets that provide a lot of therapy for them. Some people love cooking, right? So there's a lot of other ways in which we can be mentally healthy. Just for some people, having um, a professional person to kind of talk to on a regular basis just provides that additional benefit. So along with my CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, as part of it, I started cooking again. The kitchen became part of my therapy. I began cooking, um, not realizing it at the time, but cooking was a way I was able to rebuild my independence, my confidence, my self-esteem. It was a place where I didn't have to rely on anyone. When you lose your vision or lose some of your vision, what ends up happening is you become reliant on other people and you lose a lot of that independence. But what happened for me was while cooking, I regained that independence because I don't need anyone. It was just me cooking. I was able to just be me, not marry with vision loss. So I'm a huge supporter of CBT and mindfulness. And I asked Vivian to expand on these approaches. CBT isn't about convincing us that everything's perfect all the time. It's just about kind of playing devil's advocate to those negative thoughts in a way that we can start to feel more balanced. So you don't necessarily think, wow, everyone at the party thinks I'm amazing, but you probably kind of find somewhere in between those two extremes of, you know, people at the party liked me. They, they're my friends. They invited me. They wanted to talk to me. And you kind of have a more neutral perspective, which actually allows you to feel a lot better and a lot more confident in different situations. And mindfulness works actually really well with CBT. So we often, especially um, in like busy, busy people's lives, they're kind of constantly thinking about the future and maybe worrying about it, or they're thinking about the past and they're ruminating on it. And mindfulness is the practice of paying attention to the present moment. So in this moment, I'm sitting in a chair, or in this moment, I'm, you know, uh, driving to work, and I'm actually paying attention to what I'm doing, rather than jumping ahead or going back to the past. 
Um, it also is paying attention to what's happening in our bodies. So I'm noticing that my shoulders are tightening up or I'm noticing that my um, heart is racing and that's bringing on those uncomfortable feelings. So you can see already how that can relate well to CBT practices. A lot of people think that the one kind of path to being more mindful is through meditation. And I often say that that's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's definitely one way for us to do it, but it's not the only way. So it's kind of similar to jogging is one way to be physically healthy, but it's not the only way for you to do that. Uh, meditation can play a really big part of mindfulness because it's pausing away from distraction and trying to like focus again on that present moment. But there's also strategies people can do every day. So just even something as simple as brushing your teeth and rather than thinking about that big meeting you have coming up or thinking about that conversation you're going to have with your friend later, while you're brushing your teeth, you just notice your five senses. So what does the toothpaste smell like? How does it feel inside my mouth? How does it taste? Um, what do I see? And, and you know, what does it, how does it sound? All those things are just a way of slowing it down and paying attention to the actual experience instead of just ignoring what you're actually doing. Interesting you say that because for me, my mindful therapy is and was the kitchen. Of course. Yeah, that's a it great was, place to be mindful. Yeah, it's the one place and I, I keep on I, I stress this. I tell anyone that will listen to me that if you tried even chopping, you're chopping an onion, chopping vegetables, uh, creating something. When you step into that kitchen, the only thing you're thinking about is the task at hand. Mm -hmm. You're you're not thinking about, like you mentioned, your meeting or your your conference or, um, you know, a, a big speech or, or talk that you have to do, or you're not thinking about what went wrong three years ago, um, that you're still lamenting over today it's just whatever you're doing in that moment mm -hmm. and that's that's such a good point because I think a lot of people experience similar to what you're saying Mary and then others actually tend to cook while they distract themselves so they'll have a tv on or they'll be listening to an audiobook or podcast or they're or they are you know thinking about that meeting and so that's a great place to encourage people to slow down so if they're interested in in bringing in more mindfulness into their lives, it's a wonderful thing to be just turning off those other distractions, um, not going on social media while the pot's boiling, but just actually paying attention to what they're creating. Self-care is so important, but much more than just a spa day. Self-care is about thinking about you. What makes you happy? What are you grateful for? I think when it comes to that proactive care, it's really about being very intuitive and listening to our body. Because when we do kind of think about self-care, yes, there are times where like, if the spa is what you need in terms of self-care, then do that. At the same time, though, self-care is about really getting in tuned and understanding our own needs. How would you kind of incorporate mental health back into that self-care buzzword that you see all over social media? Mm -hmm. So I think we've kind of gotten into these buzzwords because we've forgotten how to listen to ourselves it's almost like especially what i see with social media and with a lot of clients it's these comparisons of "ooh, this person has this or like "ooh, that person's doing that or should i be doing that too it's sort of like these rules that i hear about when we talk about social media and buzzwords and like and the compare and despair so much of that it's like 
also like words like YOLO and FOMO <laughs> come to mind. Like you only live once. <laughs> yes, totally knew that. Or like FOMO where you're like fear of missing out. Totally fair, right? If we're seeing other people enjoying things that we also want and we're not doing it, then we're going to kind of feel that. And yet what it doesn't really touch on then in terms of our own self-care and mental health is that intuitively we do all have the mm-hmm. answers. In therapy, I usually find most of my work is we're really digging deep and exploring, well, what is your true answer? Rather than kind of taking it as like all of these other things that society or culture or family values really put on me, all this pressure, we're really using this therapy space to remove that, to be Mm -hmm. like, well, what is it? Who are you? What Mm -hmm. do you want? Can we refocus and intuitively take opportunities to understand you again? And I think that's the big thing about the mental health piece and self-care. It's how do we come back to ourselves? How do we get back to being attuned to that sort of like wanderer, that person who like knows the journey? In your opinion, do you believe that there's a link between food and mental health? Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we kind of look at the research that's out there right now, Women's College and CAMH are both doing different types of research looking at our gut health and how it really impacts mood disorders. So there's actually been quite a bit of research around like how you take care of your body that way in a physical sense, really impacting sort of how you are mentally. And I think that makes sense. Like if I'm having the greasiest meal of life and because sometimes, you know, your body craves it, go for it. Right. But then sometimes it's like me going back to comforts because I'm feeling distressed It's a habit rather than like me intuitively listening to my body because what happens after those moments, I come out of feeling guilty. I come out of feeling like, what the hell did I just eat? And my mood doesn't actually kind of get better. Any tips on how someone can actually start listening to their body and listening to what their body is telling them instead of kind of, because I was in a state where my body was telling me, look, you are burnt out. You're doing way too much. And then it kindly actually just shut down on me. Are there any tools that someone can kind of keep with them or kind of take under their belt and say, okay, if I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, maybe I should really slow down, reevaluate, mm-hmm. take a look at myself? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, what I, I'm hearing from you, Mary, is, you know, it came to a point where, you know, you probably weren't aware what your body was trying to tell you and you were going and going and going until it really like was yelling at you to kind of um, just slow down. Um, So it's really helpful. I think it's so important for all of us to um, take a moment throughout our day, taking conscious deep breaths and kind of doing a a quick body scan from head to toe, noticing where you're feeling the sensations in your body, where there's tension. I know so many times when I do this, I'm like, oh, wow, I had no idea. You know, my shoulders were actually hurting right now. Like, you know, because we're so much head driven that encourages like productivity, go, 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 living through our head that we forget the most important thing to um, you know, be healthy and be able to move through life is, is to take care of our body and to listen to our body and to listen to its needs. And uh, yeah, so I, I would say um, some, a lot of mindfulness practices, being able to um, talk to yourself mindfully with love. I'm Mary Mamaliti, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Jalen Bradbury, Vivian Zhang, and Melissa DeFonso, who are just a few of the incredible therapists at Shift Collab. Now, add one more part of my story to the mix. So there's vision loss. There's 
regaining my confidence and my independence in the kitchen. There's CBT. This section here that I want to talk about is near and dear to me, entrepreneurs and mental health. So starting your own business, your own venture, it can be exciting, but it can also be really isolating or even discouraging at times, especially when you're trying to get it off the ground. How can people prepare to take on a challenge like this? And what advice would you give to them to help them kind of maneuver through this maze of self-doubt when you're working, when you're basically working on your own? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a really tough one. I'm like, mm-hmm. can I just cop out and be like, get a therapist? <laughs> no, I can't just cop that into that. Um, yeah, I think definitely having like the support network that you need in order to go through this process is really important. Like foster your tribe, look for the people who are going to encourage you and be there to support you. And support can mean different things. When I first started into private practice, I was like, I have my mortgage and bills and then I'm going to do what now? Like I'm going to work for myself. Can I trust myself to do this? How much am I going to make? What's my safety net? How much do I have to save to be ordered to like do this? And it was a challenging move. I think what really helped is having, you know, the supports at shift. Like I had people who were like, this is my journey. This is what I went through. Yeah. It makes sense for you to kind of think about these facts or, What about this too? And how are you going to make sure that you set this plan for yourself? Like really helping me process and talk it through so I can actually challenge and calm my mind so I don't go into catastrophizing. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, if I work for myself tomorrow, I'm going to live on the streets. Mm -hmm. The bank doesn't take my house that quickly anyways, right? So (laughs) yeah, so like really having those people that I could connect with helped in terms of this venture because then I had people who were willing to support me and get me through this time. And, you know, I think it's really important for people to kind of like find those connections for themselves. And sometimes we might not have that either. Um, Sometimes when we're starting out in this journey, I know some people, they start out on this venture because they're moving to a new country or this is sort of like what they need to do for their family. Like there's no other kind of employment options and it's tough. So if I could snap my fingers and change something about social media, what would what would you like to see change about the way we engage online? I wish it continued to foster the original intent, which I believe is for connection, to be able to mm. like share these stories. Because I filter it in a way that's like, this is positive for me. I do not filter it in a way where I'm like, body image stuff like I can't do it not do I want to look like you know the six-pack supermodel yeah some days I do do I need to see it all the time no I don't (laughs) I don't live that lifestyle I don't always need that that's not motivating for me at the same time though like I look for people who are still inspiring those feelings for me of like how do I connect to myself how do they do it how do they get through like hardships and you know Also, there are parts of the social media site where it's like everything's very doom and gloom, which I also stay away from. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know. Something about like whatever fosters connection for me, that's what I wish social media could really focus on. Yeah. yeah. uh, What I would add to what Vivian said is also just, um, you know, being very mindful when I'm on social media of, of just the judgments or comparisons that might go through my mind and just notice them, not have to actively 
um, you know, fall into them or, um, in, you know, feed them, but just, just notice them and allow them to come and, and, and let them go. Do you have a kitchen confession that you can share with us? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I can go. Okay. Go. <laughs> okay. So, um, my kitchen confession, one of my friends, she was getting married and for her bridal shower, she'd asked me to make this particular cake from scratch. Okay. And and I did, and um, unfortunately it burnt. And so what I ended up doing was I went to the grocery, to No Frills, and I bought um, one of those box mixes. And mm-hmm. I said that I, I, I told everyone, they're like, wow, it's so good. I'm like, yeah, I know, it's the exact cake that you asked me to make. And I felt really bad. Like, it's probably not something I would do now. But uh, it's something that I, I, I hate to admit that I did do. And I uh, did the same thing at a potluck. Yeah. At a work <laughs> potluck, honestly. <laughs> I guess we've all done it at some point. Yeah, in our lives. But I went a well. step further and I said it was my aunt's secret recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't so you could so you couldn't uh, be so they asked you questions like how did you yeah. make it? They're like what's you the had, recipe? You had to cover. Yeah, I can't yeah. share. Smart. Yeah. yeah. I can't bake, so kudos to both of you. Um, every time I try to bake, it comes out as a lump, and I'm like, this is supposed to be a sugar cookie, right? It looks like a kid's Play-Doh project. Um, yeah, but that wasn't my confession. My confession. <laughs> Mine is every time I make those like frozen bags of French fries, it says like put it in the oven for something like 17 to 20 minutes or something. And it goes like, make sure not to burn it. So I always turn on the light for the oven and I watch it intently. The minute I walk away, I come back and they're crisps. <laughs> they're just always burnt. So I, I just eat my fries burnt with lots of ketchup. That's lots my of ketchup. One confession that comes to mind is as a little kid, I was vegetarian since I was five years old. And my parents uh, kind of just assumed as a five-year-old that it was a you know, phase I was going through and that I would grow out of it. I think my dad says that I was the first vegetarian he ever met. So there wasn't a lot of vegetarians that we knew um, at that time out in the suburbs in the 90s. And so they didn't really know what to make of me, but they tried to kind of insist that I'd have, you know, at least a few bites of whatever meat was being served at um, dinner. So my family ate a lot of kind of like meat and potatoes type of menu. Um, And my sister hated uh, vegetables. And so she was kind of more of a common picky eater of just like hating, you know, the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli and she would love the chicken fingers. Whereas I would happily eat all of my greens, but I just didn't want to eat, uh, any meat. And, um, essentially, so whenever we would be kind of left at the table, our parents would get up, but we'd have to stay there until we finished our plates. As soon as our parents kind of turned their backs, my sister and I would automatically switch our plates. Um, And we would quickly, you know, I would wolf down all of her Brussels sprouts. She would finish off my, um, you know, pork roast or steak or whatever we were having that night. And then we would finish. And we thought that that was a good secret that we were keeping from our family for ages. And it turned out like our mom knew the whole time. Uh, we thought we were being really sneaky, but basically she said that like, it was just a way for us to get to along together. And so she was fine with it. <laughs> like you guys were working together. You weren't fighting. I was just going to roll with it. But she was like, of course you guys would be like in agony, like protesting, not eating this. And as soon as I turned my back, you'd be like, we're done. Um, so she would always figure it out. We didn't actually pull it over, but 
that was kind of, uh, I think, something that we thought that we were sneaking away with. That's hilarious. I mean, moms know everything. They're so ninja-like. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's hilarious. If listeners want to reach out for more information or more from you, where can they find everything? So they can find a, us on the Shift Collab website, shiftcollab.com. And you're able to reach out to me um, directly that way. So I'd love to hear from anybody. I haven't always been this open and honest about my story or my journey with mental health. It's been a process that I'm eternally grateful for. You know, sadness, anxiety, loneliness, and fear hides behind the happiest of faces, and mine was one of those for many years. Learning that it's okay to feel the anger at that crappy hand that was dealt to me, and and worry about life's challenges that I need to overcome. It's okay to feel that. I need to feel it. Because once I've felt it, I can move forward feeling stronger and empowered and that I've got this. And I remind myself often that if I feel this, I'm sure there's someone else out there who can relate. And it's a reminder that we're never alone. Please talk, share, listen, and learn so we can all heal together. Okay, I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite quotes. Be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about, which always circles back to what I say all the time. Never judge a book by its cover. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew and our music this week came from taketones.com. See you at the next episode.